Well, good morning. I'll try that again. Good morning. Really great to see you. Summer, I think, has finally arrived. That's good news, isn't it? May it continue. Great to see you. Welcome again to Timberline. Just a couple of uh, uh, quick details. Our bulletin has been completely redesigned. Take a look at it. I hope that you will uh, enjoy the new design. It's uh, created to help inform us all as to uh, what's going on. Tables in the mile every uh, weekend. Information you can get. Also, we've got a new uh, a connection card now, formerly the communications card. And uh, it's a two-way street there. If you give us your email details, uh, if you've got an inquiry about a particular ministry, we can, we can get back to you very easily. As always, our, our website is a, a great source of ongoing information uh, every week. Well, it's wonderful to see you. We're starting a new, a new three-week series uh, this week. It's called How to Be a Hero, How to Be a Hero, Reflections in the Life of Samson. How many of you uh, watched the little wedding that we had in England a few? How many of you, how many of you watched the whole thing? I, I did. I was back there. In fact, I waved at you. I hope you saw me waving. And uh, it was an amazing day. Let me tell you, folks, the food at the reception in Buckingham Palace afterwards is just amazing. So I'm told by those that ate it. And uh, it was a perfect day, wasn't it? A beautiful princess who looked like a queen, a sort of handsome prince, I think. And uh, did you know, inside information here, this is just between me and you, the prince had to wear extra sweat pads sewn into his uniform so that he would not perspire in front of a billion people. (laughs) That'd be rough, wouldn't it? Sweating in front of a billion it was a perfect day with perfect characters, or, or so it seemed. I am so glad that when the Bible gives us heroes and big personalities, it tells us the truth, the whole truth about them, their weaknesses, their flaws, their struggles. Abraham and Sarah, who heard of the blessing of God and then laughed in the face of the blesser. Peter, who denied Jesus with curses. Jonah, who preached the shortest sermon in the history of sermons, just one sentence. How many of you would vote for more sermons? Like, no, no, don't even, don't even go there. Uh, one sermon, extremely short and incredibly effective. The whole city turned uh, to God. But perhaps Samson, this uh, character who lived 3,000 years ago, is the, the starkest character. He's the Old Testament bad boy, or, or so we think. 3,000 years ago, Israel was in trouble. They were living under the shadow of the nearby nation of Philistia, which was about as close to Samson's town as college is on Drake from us right now. More about that in a moment. But no one was crying out to God for help. And so God took the initiative. Uh, An angel appeared to a woman who previously had been barren, and promised that God was uh, sending a judge, not a judge in the way that we think of judges, but a, a leader who would stir Israel to begin to throw off Philistine oppression. So let's have a look at this story as we think today about what strength really is. Judges 13, verse 24. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew... And the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtael. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, 
I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents didn't know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time they were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. And as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. In it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some. And they too ate it, but he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. I wonder what image comes to our minds today when I mention the word hero. Hero, maybe Superman, the all-American hero, comes to mind. Up, up and away, vulnerable only to Lois Lane and Kryptonite. He's an amazing guy. He wears blue pantyhose, so there's some issues, but he... He's an amazing hero. Being from Britain, I suppose the, the image that would come to my mind would be Bond. James Bond. 007, smooth, cool, demonair, outrageously immoral, but an interesting character. Maybe you're thinking Jack Bauer. Jack Bauer. Some of you are thinking, Jack Bauer, is he in Ecclesiastes? Where is that character? Now, it's in 24, because all disasters happen in the exact 24-hour periods. We all know that. And Jack is a hero. He saves the world from nuclear disaster, rescues the president from assassination, makes the coffee, and washes up the cups. He's amazing. <laughs> Jewish children are taught to call Samson, Samson the hero. Elite Israeli combat units are named in his honor. Israel's nuclear program was called the Samson option. And certainly 3,000 years ago, Israel needed a hero. She didn't have a king, either human nor divine, and she was in trouble and it was her own fault. Judges 17 sums up the moral mood of the day. Everyone did as they thought or saw fit. And the major threat to Israel was from the Philistines. They had taken the land mostly, but there were a number of uh, foreign tribes that would not budge. And the Philistines lived in five interconnected cities. Samson was from the tribe of Dan. He lived in a place called Zorah in the Judean lowlands. And he lived exactly uh, two miles from uh, one of the major Philistine cities. Let me quickly tell you, these Philistines were mean dudes. There were about 30,000 of them. They were nomadic sea people, originally from Greece, many of them mercenaries who'd fought in Egyptian wars. They were more sophisticated militarily than the Israelites. They had terrifying chariots, three-man chariots. Goliath was their most famous son. They were infamous for torture and bloodshed. Israeli kings would rather die than fall into their hands. They worshipped a god, Dagon, half fish, half man, and they practiced human sacrifice. You see, you become like you think your god is. 
And these people worshipped a bloodthirsty God, and so they themselves became bloodthirsty. Samson and his family lived two miles from the Philistine city of Ekron. Excavations have taken place and they found city walls that were ten feet thick. Everyone's in despair, living under Philistine oppression. No one's doing anything about it. This is Samson's story. Now, before we go any further, let's just ask the quick question, is it just a story? Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Samson. Well, some people try and say that it's just a poem or a saga, but most modern scholars believe that Samson is a literal historical story. I do because the ancient rabbis did, because the early church did, and most importantly, the writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament named Samson, somewhat surprisingly, in the Hall of Faith. And so if the New Testament treats Samson as a literal figure, that is enough for me. What Samson is famous for, apart from epic naughtiness, is strength. His very name, Shimshon, is a combination name that means little son and vigor or strength. You combine the words together, and it's true, isn't it, that when we think Samson, we think strong person. So what can we learn about strength from his story? Let's face it, we all want to be strong, don't we? No one ever has an ambition to be fearful. I know what I'd like to be when I grow up. I want to be really hesitant and timid. No one ever says that. No, I'd, I'd like to really lack conviction and be assaulted by addictions. That sounds like a lot of fun. No one does that. We all want to be strong. So how? What can we learn from this story of this strong man? The first thing, if you're following along in the bulletin, the first thing is let's know that good people sometimes do bad things. Good people sometimes do bad things. The moment we are introduced to the adult Samson, he is immediately being naughty. Verse 1, Samson went down to Timnah. By the way, uh, this book is loaded with riddles and meanings and went down is, is intentional in that it is indicating to us that not only did Samson head down geographically, but he headed down morally. This was the beginning of his descent. And the problem with his story is that because he's so naughty, we can be blinded to some good things about him. And, and, and if we're not careful, we just write him off as a bad guy. I, I've been reading lots of books about Samson and commentaries. The commentators like to call Samson bad names. The embodiment of all that was wrong with Israel, the bawdy giant, an obstreperous lout, the oversexed muscle man, the noble savage, a trickster, a bandit, an anti-hero, a dead end, a tragic figure. Wow. The danger is that we just write Samson off as a bad guy and we sort of think, well, his story doesn't have anything to say to us because we think we're kind of good and therefore it's not relevant. We don't have to try and rehabilitate Samson. The church, the Christian church in the fourth century tried to paint him as a saint. We don't have to do that. But I'd like to suggest to us that although there are some people on the earth who are epically, terrifyingly bad and evil, and there are some people who are amazingly wonderful and saintly, most of us live somewhere in between 
And the idea that it's only bad people who do bad things is wrong. We are all capable of being really stupid. It's part, some of you are looking at me like, I can't believe you just said that to us. Well, I mean, it's just the truth. It's too late. We've been born. Now, God doesn't write Samson off either. As I say, installing him in the Hebrews Hall of Faith. So it looks to me like this is a basically a, a good guy who did some really stupid things. What went wrong? Well, I haven't got time to unpack it, but if you're interested, have a look at Judges 13 sometime and you will see that the tradition that Samson came from a fragmented home is very likely correct. There is tension between his parents. His mother is switched on to spiritual stuff and his dad is not. There are 12 reasons, if I had time, to tell you that, that, that this was probably a very difficult, broken home, perhaps. Almost broken home. Plus, think about it, ladies. You're barren. You're told by an angel that you're going to have a son, but he'll never really be yours. He was, as one writer says, he was nationalized in the womb. You have to give him away to the bigger purposes of the nation. That must have been a struggle. And confusing for Samson, too, because his calling was determined before he was even born. He didn't choose it. This was a, a man with some difficult background. I do not want to suggest that everything that's wrong with us is because something that happened to us in the past. You know, we've got that kind of blame culture, haven't we, where it's all down to something that happened to me. Uh, Anna Russell has this poem that talks about that blame culture. She says, I went to my psychiatrist to be psychoanalyzed to find out why I killed the cat and blacked my husband's eyes. He laid me on a downy couch to see what he could find, and here is what he dredged up from my subconscious mind. When I was one, my mummy hid my dolly in a trunk, and so it follows naturally that I'm always drunk. When I was two, I saw my father kiss the maid one day, and that is why I suffer now from kleptomania. At three, I had the feeling of ambivalence towards my brothers, and so it follows naturally I poison all my lovers. But I am happy now I've learned the lesson this has taught, that everything I do that's wrong is someone else's fault. I'm not buying that. What I am saying is that understanding our history can help us understand who we are now. Samson's always running. Are we always running from ourselves? Do we know who we are? Are we so busy trying to get there that we forget where we've been? And by the way, when we do get it wrong, because we can get it wrong, do we admit it? Has anyone noticed that Jesus didn't come back last night? Uh, I... The top three hits on Google this weekend are the rapture. And I, 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 I want to say this carefully. I, I, I've got to make a pastoral comment about this. If anyone ever tries to tell you the date and time that Jesus is coming, just write it off completely and totally. It's heresy. It's heresy. And the truth is that there, there are millions of people around the world right now who are sneering because when someone says the Bible guarantees the date, guess what? A lot of people are going to think, well, that didn't happen, so where else is the Bible guaranteeing stuff that won't come to pass? Now, I need to be careful about this because I'm frustrated 
with all of this. Because we seem to go round and round in the same old ridiculous circles. And I want to be ever so clear uh, about this. This is wrong. But here's the question. Will Mr. Harold Camping today stand up and say, I was wrong. Will he say, I need to get a new calculator. Will he say, I should have read the book of Ruth? Or will he say, I was wrong. I can't ignore this. The whole world's talking about this, so I've got to talk about it. And at the end of this service, we're going to pray for people around the world right now who are looking at the church thinking that we're all completely off our heads when less than a fraction of 1% of the church, a fraction of 1% of 1% of 1% of 1%. I figured that out. I just calculated it. (laughs) Sorry, that was naughty. See see how easily good people get it wrong. We're going to pray at the end of this service for people who are struggling and disappointed and even sneering that they'll realize the difference. But good people get it wrong. Is it possible that today some of us just need our world is waiting in bated breath to hear us say, I was wrong. I got it wrong. Secondly, here's a startling statement. There are no strong people, just people with strengths. There are no strong people, just people with strengths. Look at this. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Artists throughout history have consistently painted Samson as a beefy giant with bulging biceps, a cavernous chest, a six-pack, solid six-pack for an abdomen. You know, kind of like me, really. Do you know, I'd really be grateful if you would laugh at the right times. Rembrandt gave him thighs as thick as tree trunks. Rubens was more Braveheart with a red-haired Samson. But was he really like that? Do you know the rabbis teach and taught that Samson was probably a man with disabilities? That both his feet were lame. I love that as a portrait. That Samson, if he were here today, might have a special badge for his car and a reserved parking space. I love that because there's something beautifully inclusive about that. I hate the word handicapped. It seemed to me, not just in the name of political correctness, it seems to be so dismissive, identifying people by a primary challenge. People are not just the handicapped, it's people with disabilities. And I love this beautiful idea that maybe Samson wasn't the big beefy guy. In fact, if he was, why was everyone saying, what's the secret of his strength, if it was obvious that he simply had a gym membership? The point is, whatever his t-shirt size, he was never called to live in his own strength. And neither are we. Christianity is not just about doing what Jesus would do in our own strength and power. Christianity is utterly impossible outside the work of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives. And then there's no such thing as a person who is strong. There's no strong people in here. Not one. I can see some of us going, you mean... No, sir, you're not strong. You're just someone with strengths. For not only do you have weaknesses, 
And if you don't know that you have a weakness, then your weakness is not knowing that you have a weakness. <laughs> Did you also know that your strengths can contribute to your weaknesses? Because Samson was a man with a secret, and Samson was a man who became secretive. You see, that can happen where we're strong, can contribute to our weakness. The unwaveringly morally confident person can lack compassion. The passionate reformer becomes intolerant to those who doesn't do as they do. The tender-hearted soul becomes a pushover for manipulation. The financially strong despise those who don't have what they have. The independent entrepreneurial type struggles to ask for help. Where we are strong can make us weak. Here's a question. I think most of us know a bit about our weaknesses. But have we ever asked God where we are weak because of our strengths? how our strengths might contribute to our weaknesses? It's a great question to ask. The third thing is this. Spirituality and physicality are strangely mixed and hormones affect our eyesight. <laughs> there's, a, there's a really strange ending to chapter 13 and beginning to 14 and there were no chapter breaks in the original text because look at this. Look at this, everyone. The Spirit of the Lord began to stir him and he saw a woman. Hello. What's that about? By the way, there's loads and loads of erotic imagery in this book. So much so that most of it I will not be sharing with you over the next three weeks in the interest of being polite. And also I go red when I talk about these things. And I'm starting to go red even now at the thought of talking about these things. So most of it I won't be sharing with you, but it's interesting that God's Spirit began to stir him and then he began to be stirred in another way. That's fascinating. Anyone who's ever worked in youth camps knows. <laughs> knows that the night the Holy Spirit really moves and everyone responds to God and it's a fantastic night. It's the same night that the youth leaders need to be outside wandering around with flashlights later. <laughs> Some of you are going, I can't believe he just said that. <laughs> yes, I, Pastor Darry, affirm this truth. <laughs> Why is that? It's because we are whole people. We're not just bits of people joined together. When we open ourselves emotionally... Uh, spiritually, we then become vulnerably, vul vulnerably, vulnerable in every area of our lives. Spirituality and physicality can be mixed, which is why the church is an ideal place for immorality. Because we're saying to each other, we, we share our lives together. We're, we're quite intimate. We, we're vulnerable. We say stuff like, I love you. We hug. By the way, ladies, it's, it's, it's all right. We, hugging is fine, although... Uh, and gentlemen, always hug to the left is a, is a good bit of advice. I've been head-butted so many times. It's like I just came to church. I don't want to be mugged, you know. Hug to the left. But a little word of advice for the ladies. Any man who wants to hug you ladies more than five seconds, be careful. If it's five minutes, slap him. See, the Bible warns us 1 Timothy 5.2, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Now, that doesn't mean that we're never going to talk about sex. 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 
Last year I preached here and I, I talked about sex and a man jumped up and walked out and said, this is disgusting, I'm really sorry, sir, but if, if it offends you, you, you better leave because we're going to talk about this stuff because the Bible talks about this stuff. And we are not going to hesitate. But let's allow purity to dominate the way that we, the way that we interact with each other and watch out for those hormones because they can affect your eyesight. <laughs> You know, of the four services this weekend, you are by far the naughtiest. <laughs> I'm sure that those of you in the South Auditorium are far more well behaved. <laughs> Israel is saying, we'll do what is right in our eyes. And Samson becomes a microcosm of, of Israel. He says, she's the right one, get her for me. He doesn't take advice from his parents. And his hormones blind him to the harsh realities. The Lord redeemed the situation, more about that in the coming weeks, but he was blinded by his own deception. It's amazing how we can get deceived when we want something enough. A couple of months ago, Kay and I were in Australia speaking at a Salvation Army conference. We had a couple of days off. And we went, we went into the rainforest on safari. And it was fascinating. We were ten hours in the rainforest golden orb spiders as big as pizzas that attach themselves to your face and you die. <laughs> we got out of the, the, the vehicle and our guide, he said, now as you walk through here, there are leeches and they will attach themselves to you. And they did. I mean, he says, it's all right. They, they suck your blood, grow ten times their usual size and then they fall off. I thought, oh, that's comforting. <laughs> I'm walking through the rainforest. Not only are the leeches attaching themselves but I can hear them giving thanks for the food. I mean, this is bad. <laughs> but we survived that. And the next day we're in this town, and, I, and I, I, Kay wanted to go for this walk by the, by the river. So, and I'm, I, I was just wearing sandals. I thought, oh, it'll be okay, because, you know, snakes wouldn't be allowed in towns, would they? So we're walking along, you know, hand in hand, the way we always are when we go out walking, singing hymns and <laughs> swaying backwards and forwards. You know, I've got my tambourine, you know, it's great. <laughs> I got one step away from a red belly black. Red belly black is one of the most dangerous snakes in Australia. And I'm just walking along and I was just about to step on it and I saw it and I screamed like a girl. And Kay went up in the air. And I stopped. And, the, I, I, and you know what happened next. I reached down and grabbed the snake, removed the fangs, threw it up in the air. My wife cried, my hero! I sense disbelief in the house. We cancelled the walk. That's what happened. But folks, here's the truth. I believe the lie. I, you know, like snakes don't live in towns. Like a snake comes up to a town and it sees a, a town sign and it says, oh, can't go there, it's town. <laughs> Better slither off somewhere else. Stupid idea. One more step and it could have bitten me. You're about to step into a deception that is going to bite you bad. It's going to put poison into your life that might take a lifetime to recover from. You may never recover. 
Are you believing a ridiculous idea? Are you justifying yourself and saying, yeah, this is right for me. I deserve this. (laughs) Step away from the snake, sir. Step away from the snake, man. Hormones affect your eyesight. Well, the last thing to conclude is this. Strength comes when we visit dead lions. Strength comes when we visit dead lions. Look at this. Sometime later, he went back to marry her, about a year later probably. He turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. In it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. This is fascinating because a year earlier, a year earlier, God had delivered him from that lion, but he went back to visit it just to remind himself that it really had happened. Sometimes God does stuff and we forget. And it's good to go back and revisit it and remember it and celebrate it just to remind ourselves. Forgive me, I've told this story here before, but uh, I drove my car off a cliff once in, um, in Oregon. And my wife was at a prayer retreat in the mountains. I had some friends, our kids were in the car. And I was going up this road, mountain road, about 2,000 feet of fresh air, no crash barrier. And we came around this corner and we hit this patch of frozen ice. Most ice is frozen. (laughs) Yes, I know, I speak as one deep. And our car started to spin, so I started to scream, you know, cliffs and snakes, scream. It's a natural reaction. And my onion farmer friend, he wasn't screaming, he was praying. So I felt embarrassed because I'm a Christian leader and I'm screaming falsetto. So I started to pray. Then the car went over the edge. Three of the four car wheels were gone. The back wheel on the right-hand side remained on solid ground. The car tipped, at which point I cancelled the praying and just got back into the screaming. I don't know what happened. I did not see an angel. I did not see an unseen hand. What a stupid statement that is. You wouldn't see an unseen hand, would you? (laughs) All I know is that the car was pushed back onto the road, right in the pathway of an oncoming car. And we celebrated. We didn't just say, oh, fairly good, that was fun. We cheered and shouted and celebrated because we knew that God had delivered us and the lady who was driving the car that we narrowly missed she stopped her car get got out of the car came over to us she said i can't believe what i just saw you guys were gone and you're here i went back to my friends five years later and said to them tell me the story again did it really happen the way i think it happened because every now and again we need to revisit dead lions Now, maybe your story isn't as dramatic as that. It doesn't really matter. Maybe it was that Sunday school class when Mrs. Smith told you the story of Joseph and you gave your life to Jesus at the end. Maybe it was that youth camp. Maybe it was that conversation in that coffee shop. Maybe it was that answer to prayer. But sometimes it's good to revisit our past, not only negatively but positively, to remind ourselves why it is that we're alive today, what it is that we're living for. A year had passed, but Samson needed to remember. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we want to thank you today for your power that is available in our lives. 
We praise you because your word tells us the truth about women and men who followed you. They're not, they're not perfect figures. They're fragile, flawed figures that we can learn from. We pause, Lord, and perhaps ask you to, to show us what has contributed to making us the way we are. Not that we might just complain about that or blame it, but that we might have an understanding of ourselves that will protect us when temptation comes. And help us, Lord, to be willing to say what Samson never really got round to saying, I was wrong. I wonder as we just wait in this quietness whether some of us are needing to just say to God, I got it wrong, Lord. I'm sorry. I want to go a different way now. And I want others to know that I got it wrong. I'm willing to humble myself. Show us, Lord, where we're weak, but also show us where our strengths contribute to our weakness. Samson, a man with a secret, but a secretive man. We ask you even this week, Lord, to show us a greater understanding of ourselves. May we not be blinded by deception. We pray for each other that you will keep us pure. And for any here today who are just on the edge of treading on a snake, May they draw back. Finally, Father, we, we ask you to help us to visit the carcasses of lions, the cliff that I went over, the Sunday school lesson where we decided, the vows that we made, the moment when our heart was stirred towards you for the first time. Teach us, Lord, we pray to remember so that in remembering yesterday we might be strong today. We agree together in Jesus' name. Everyone said, We're going to continue with our worship now in our giving. Thank you so much for your generosity and, and, and giving. We say it every week. It's worth saying if you're a guest with us today, you don't have to give. But put that connection card um, in the offering plate as it comes by. We're going to give. And then if you'd like to and you're able at the appropriate moment to stand to sing, uh, feel free to do that. Let's worship the Lord. So we go now, Lord with the knowledge that your holiness fills the earth and your strength can be ours. May we live in that strength this week. Before we go, Father, we pause to pray for those who are bewildered or confused by the events around the world of yesterday. We pray for them. We pray for those who use this as an opportunity to sneer and use the folly of human beings as a way to attack the integrity of God. We pray for them. We pray that, Lord, we, 
and the millions who follow you might be beacons of life and light and joy in our families, our workplaces, our communities this week. Thank you, Lord, because it's not just down to us. We go not in the power of our own energy or muscle. We go in the strong name of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Great to see you. Prayer team will be here if we can pray with you. We would love to do that. Enjoy the sunshine. God bless.